This week, we need your clothes, your boots, and your motorcycle after watching Terminator 2 Judgment Day. And along the way, we ask, were John's foster parents actually nice people? Why is a liquid nitrogen truck just driving around on the freeway? And what happened to Edward Furlong? Come with us if you want to live on this edition of Force-Fed Sci-Fi. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to part two of our Terminator suite where we are discussing Terminator 2 Judgment Day. I am one of your hosts, the T-800, Chris Rupp. Oh, and I'm the T-1000, Sean Cole. Although, hopefully you're not dropped into a big vat of molten steel at the end of this. I mean, it wouldn't be the worst thing, right? <laughs> Maybe your skin would just fall off and hopefully be a quick death. Well, again, I, I hope that that does not happen. <laughs> I would be I would be without my co-host and my That's friend. Right. That's right. <laughs> what happened to Sean? All right, but Terminator 2, as you said, that's the film of the week. Yeah, so... Uh, continue our suite. Continuing the Terminator suite in anticipation of Terminator Dark Fate. If you uh, listened last week, you uh, were treated to a rousing discussion of the Terminator, the first film from 1984. That's right. It was bombastic. <laughs> it was. <laughs> but now we're following up with the second one. Yeah. Directed by the amazing James Cameron. Yeah, so Terminator 2 is set 11 years after the events of the first Terminator film. And Sarah Connor is institutionalized in a mental hospital while her young son John, the future leader of the human resistance, is all alone when two Terminators are sent back in time. One is programmed to kill him and the other to protect him. And together they embark on a mission that will hopefully stop Judgment Day and save the human race. So definitely ups the ante from the first film a little bit. And as you said, written and directed by James, James Cameron, Cameron, who uh, in between doing Terminator and Terminator 2, directed Aliens and The Abyss. Wow. Which uh, both have been lauded as very critical successes and important films in the sci-fi genre. Yeah, he was the sci-fi maniac of the 80s, we could say. Although none of the actors who worked with him on The Abyss ever wanted to work with him again after that. Well, I've heard he's kind of a pain in the buttocks. Yeah, he definitely is that. But he, he does make some insightful documentaries. So for who he is, maybe he's just hard to work with, but I don't know. Yeah, really and say. returning to the franchise, we have Arnold Schwarzenegger as the T-800, who, in between the first Terminator, filmed uh, Predator, Twins, Total Recall, and Kindergarten Cop. Well, just crushed it. His his salary went from, like, 500000 to, like, $25 million. Well, there's an argument to be made that, at the time Judgment Day came out, that he was the biggest star in the world at the time. He was. He was. He was super huge. And, like, if you wanted an instant classic, like, grossing box office, you got Schwarzenegger. Well, and this was when he was, I think, in peak physical form. Mm -hmm. As he did Predator, I think, four years beforehand. And that, I, that to me, is, like, quintessential physical Schwarzenegger. And it was a role he had to cut weight for. Yeah, do you like observing his <laughs> physique? Yeah. I think Johnson & Johnson had a field day when... They realized how many muscle-bound guys were going to be in Predator. Like, we have to make them look good. Give them all the baby oil they want. <laughs> That's so true. And uh, Linda Hamilton is back as Sarah Connor, and she reprises her role from the first film and, uh, needless to say, got jacked for this. Jacked? 
See, I was thinking Jack, but I'm th- I guess I'm thinking modern Jack because she had like skinny arms and the no, she got toned. I th- I toned, toned. Yeah, toned, that's yeah. A, that, that's a better word. Yeah. Uh, Edward Furlong as uh, John Connor is yeah. very first film role. That's right. He was all right. <laughs> yeah, he was, yeah we'll, we'll get into him a little bit. Get, uh, <laughs> Robert Patrick as the T-1000. Uh, yeah. What is a uh, big film credit before this? He appeared as a terrorist in Die Hard 2. Yeah, this film really, uh, so I guess, set his career on fire. He be, He's portrayed the T-1000 several times in like Wayne's World and think in a film that was like Action Hero, the last Action Hero with Arnold Schwarzenegger. So he, this kind of was his claim to fame. Robert Patrick is great, but I will say this. The man has not aged well. No. Oh, God, no. Just look at him now. I mean, he looks like <laughs> the piece of leather that's been tanned for too long. I mean, if you pull up Schwarzenegger, him, Hamilton, and even Edward Furlong, the, the sad thing is Arnold looks better than yeah, all Yeah, I don't know how that's possible. <laughs> I guess you need to have a consistent workout regimen. Maybe. I don't know. It's just... Uh, he, Although he's I younger. think Robert Patrick's been hitting the sauce a bit too much. Robert Patrick? Yeah. So. <laughs> Always red. Mm, and we also, in this film, we have uh, Joe Morton as Miles Dyson. Never going to get top billing, but I mean... No? Odds are you've seen Joe Morton in a film along the way at some point. Yeah, he was in those awful uh, um, DC movies. Yeah, he was a cyborg's dad in uh, Justice League and... Briefly appeared in Dawn of Justice, I think. That's right. Uh, Earl Bowen reprises his role from the first film as Dr. Silverman. Well, he's really only in the film for the first act and then never again. But he's good. Yeah. I, I actually, I like that they expanded upon his mm-hmm. uh, douchebaggery. <laughs> it's pretty good. And Michael Bean actually returned as a Kyle Reese in a dream sequence, but this scene yes. was ultimately cut out of the film. I know. I still have yet to see it because I didn't see the extended edition or whatever the hell it's called. Well, after watching cut. the extended edition and the standard edition, I can see why Cameron made those cuts. Yeah. Because a lot of them are incongruous to the, the running of the film. They just totally disrupt the flow. Yeah. And the film... I mean, it's already over two hours. Well, a lot of those scenes don't exactly make sense. There's a scene later on the film where John tells the Terminator that he needs to smile, and then he awkwardly smiles, and it looks exactly how you would think it plays out, like a robot learning to smile, and it just looks awful and terrifying. Cat calling the Terminator. Pretty much. It's like how guys tell women to smile, he's telling the machine to smile. That's not nice. Well, because he's all straight faced and just raw. <laughs> <laughs> that is, I would say that the highlight of this film is their relationship. Yeah. Between because you just enjoy it because they're both, in a sense, like children. Because the T eight hundred doesn't know anything about humans, so he's learning about vacations, smiling, jokes, how to say what. Um, what was the big one? Hasta la vista, baby. I think that line that Schwarzenegger has at the end, I need a vacation, I think that was actually ad-libbed by him. Oh, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> or I'm probably wrong. That may have been scripted because James Cameron is like that. Yeah. If it's on the paper, you you read it. Well, it's interesting the roles that those two have with each other, John and the T-800, because yeah. John wants a father figure and a friend, and the T-800 is just like, I'm your protector. <laughs> No, you are right, because Arnold did an interview uh, for the I will be back, I'll be back, and then James Cameron told him, well, you're an actor, I don't tell you how to act, so I'm a director and a writer, you can't tell me how to write. So I'm sure he's like, script, you have to be in the script. Yeah, well, 
So yeah, there were there were talks of a sequel following the Terminator's release, but yeah, Cameron originally envisioned the T one thousand being a part of the original film, but the mm-hmm. technological limitations at the time couldn't exactly pull off the T one thousand, and then Cameron went and did the Abyss and was able to pull off the water effects there, and he actually got the same visual effects team at Industrial Light and Magic to do the T one thousand for this film. Oh, okay. So you got the best. Yeah, you got the best. And they expounded upon that and made what I thought the visuals were great. Yeah. In this film, like, I mean, it seems a little dated, but not really compared to like the movies we've seen. Well, when you look into the fact that the computer effects only take up less than five minutes of screen time. Yeah. Like it can all be forgiven. Totally. To me, it doesn't look dated because it's not used to hold up the film. It's meant to enhance it. Exactly. And it's little things like when the ball appears for the Terminators arriving on Earth, you see like the uh, part of the semi truck that's on fire or I guess sizzling. Yeah, it's (laughs) cut away. It's just gone. I like those little moments, though, like the ground being a little depressed, all that. He kind of expounded upon what he did in the first one. I think uh, James Cameron honed in on his special effects and what he is basically what he became as a director nowadays. Well, this is also following the first rule in any sequel film is you have to expand upon the universe Mm -hmm. that you set forth in the first film. Absolutely. And there aren't a ton of films, film series that do this. I think John Wick is one of them. Back to the Future kind of expands on this a little bit. Um, The original Spider-Man films really kind of grew that universe. Mm -hmm. But in this one, we kind of get more of the gaps filled in between what exactly leads up to Judgment Day and how the Terminators come about. And then we learn more about Skynet. We learn more about how Miles Dyson plays into the picture, Mm -hmm. what exactly the T-1000 is. Say what you will about the Terminator franchise and how it's suffered a bit with more recent entries, Mm -hmm. but every film has done a great job of introducing a new Terminator and upping the action, Mm -hmm. kind of. Hopefully adding more details. Yeah. And world building. I would say, though, this one is it did a really good job compared to the sequels. Well, yeah, I, I don't want to talk too much about the sequels today. <laughs> I mean, because I, I think Rise of the Machines and Genesis, those are good films, but by no means are they great films. No. They really, they're really not. And a lot of the action in those films feels like a repeat of action scenes that were done in the first two films. You mean Arnold holding up the casket yeah of sarah connor that's filled with rpgs yeah and apparently there's room in there for john connor to (laughs) hang out on top of those uncomfortable guns i know (laughs) hey man can you move quicker there's an uzi point poking my back oh yeah well and then terminator salvation that movie has become more famous for christian bale having an onset meltdown than it has for anything else that is exactly what i think of when i see that and that movie is so so serious it takes itself so seriously (laughs) and it's so dark and it's weird for me to say this but i think sam worthington outperforms christian bale on that film on so many levels and i can't believe i'm actually saying that but it's so true well, he was in his claim to fame, but that that is so sad. And Christian Bale gets top billing in that film. Everything leading up to that film, all the marketing was Christian Bale, Christian Bale, Christian Bale, Christian Bale. And who would have thought? And who would have thought that Sam Worthington, an unknown actor from <laughs> New Zealand or Australia, outperforms an Oscar-winning actor? <laughs> I would have given you 50 bucks right then if that were true at, at the time. 50 bucks, wow. 
Because there's no way I would have thought it was possible. (laughs) But it is possible, Chris. And alas, here we are. So, yeah, I mean, Terminator 2 is really this is a tentpole in this franchise. Yeah, everyone talks about it. It's regarded as one of the best sequels of all time. Well, and it's really hard, too, when you have a movie like this that is so well-loved by its fan base that anything you're going to do afterwards is going to seem like crap. Oh, it's hard. It's like we've discussed on here. It's so hard to just go bigger and better. Like most movie franchises, what do they say? The sequel usually sucks. It's really hard to, to to be better than the first. And this is one of those rare franchises where some people regard it as better than the first one. Well, and especially too within the sci-fi genre. Mm-hmm. And where and James Cameron has just established himself as the master of sequels because. In 86 or 87, he did uh, Aliens. Okay. Which a lot of people regard as superior to Alien. I mean, I don't. I view Alien and Aliens as almost like two separate. Okay. As almost two separate entries in a franchise. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's right, because Ridley Scott did Alien. Yes. He did Aliens? Yeah. James Cameron? Yeah. Oh, wow. For some reason, I thought Ridley Scott did all of them. Alien is a great example of like sci-fi space horror. Yeah. Whereas Aliens is, you know, space sci-fi action. I've never seen Aliens. Okay, I gotta oh. watch it. Well, it's on our list. Yeah, it, it hey. <laughs> As we start discussing more of Judgment Day, I think it can't be stated enough that these visual and practical effects in this film are absolutely incredible. Oh yeah, especially for the time. If you read any newspaper like articles about it, people just rave. I think uh, what was his face Robert or Roger Ebert? He raved about the effects on this. How it was just culturally shifting everything in cinema at the time i wish there were more of the future battle scenes like we saw in the first film Mm -hmm. but i do like how that prologue gave us that yeah it was it was loud fast and funny and right in your face and i was sad because i knew i think that was it like mentally when seeing it because there's so much that they put into it but i wish we could have seen more but i think the future scenes held up to what the first film did. Uh, the first films, I would say the vignettes are a little bit more detailed, but... Those vignettes are more, in the first film, are more designed to give us more a look into Kyle Reese's character. Yes. Whereas this prologue just gives us an introduction into this future that we're heading down. Yes. it's it's It serves to remind us that this is where this timeline is heading. Mm-hmm. So keep, it's it's important to keep that in mind as you're going on this journey as an audience member that eventually we're going to get to a nuclear apocalypse and we're going to get to a war and there's going to be Terminators and this evil artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. And I think they did a pretty darn good job on the animatronics because you can see the stark, basically a stark contrast from the T-800 and the end of the first Terminator and then at the beginning of this one where they moved kind of seeming seamlessly, right? I like would say so. Just smashing down on the rocks and walking. I was like, oh, outstanding. Well, it's a credit to Stan Winston who designed that puppetry and those those effects Mm -hmm. that every film he's able to make leaps and bounds, it seems like. Kudos to that guy. And it's not nearly as prominent as the first film was because in the first film he has that scene where he's, you know, messing around with his eyeball and his Mm -hmm. arm and you can clearly tell that it's a robot. Mm-hmm. Whereas if if you're paying attention in Terminator 2, yeah, you're going to pick that out right away because it's the scene where 
he's walking down the hallway and he's staring down all those SWAT members. Yeah. He's getting shot in the face and his skin's peeling off and it transitions from Arnold to the SWAT members to, you know, animatronic Arnold with Mm -hmm. the skin peeling off. But then that also gives us the makeup effects too on Arnold's face. Which I think they did way better in this one than, you know, the 84 one. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The eyeball isn't like jettisoning out of the side of his face, like with this big bulge. They really uh, formed it to his skin much better. Even um, at the end, the last, you know, the final battle where he's got his arm in his, like, shirt with the fake little, when uh, yeah. Arnold loses half of his arm, I felt the effects on his body were just great. Great makeup. But it makes sense, because I think this film won an Oscar for it or something like it that. It did, yeah. Yeah. So there was a, it was a drastic improvement, I would say, on what already was incredible. And I love how this film is constructed, especially in the, the first act. Because mm-hmm. if you're if you're familiar with the first film, and you go into this one blind without knowing who's who, mm-hmm. you it's initially set up where you think that Robert Patrick is the unassuming human protector of John Connor, and Arnold Schwarzenegger is back as a Terminator to kill everybody. And mm-hmm. it's not until they converge in the mall hallway where Schwarzenegger all he says is "get down" <laughs> and saves John Connor from the T one thousand. Right. That we're like, oh, we're in for a fight. Oh, snap. <laughs> we we instantly are able to recognize from there who's the good guy and who's the bad guy. Right. And they proceed to duke it out in that hallway. The T-1000 was a little bit nicer to, like, the foster parents. He walked in and, like... He well, re- initially. Initially, he was nicer. But he, he exuded more humanistic qualities, I would say. Well, there the was T-800. no reason for him to, you know, start growing spikes from his fingers and kill everybody right away. <laughs> right. He needs to find John Connor first. He can't do that if he just kills people. Though I didn't. <laughs> so I I watched uh, a little bit of T3. And when Arnold goes into the, it's it was kind of a repeat of like when he goes into the bar and then like takes the clothes. Yeah. But in both films, the director made <laughs> rather portly women be the ones that were like looking at Arnold like his Johnson and everything be like, ooh, baby. <laughs> it's like, what do you got to say about large women, man? That they can't uh, control themselves? Because it was like all the skinny women were like, oh, oh my, look at this naked man. Terminator 3 did try to inject some levity into the film, but yeah. and it, it didn't exactly fit in with the tone of the franchise, I think. No, it did not. But with T2, I did enjoy that bar scene. It was funny, like when they put the cigar out. Initially, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> oh, forget that turned real quick when he started throwing guys out through windows and yeah, he... stabbed a dude through the collarbone. Oh, my God. And he puts the he throws the guys on the grill and his hands yeah. get all charred. It's <laughs> like, oh, my God. that Great makeup again. He shows the hands and you see all charred up. Oof. That made me wince. And then Bad to the Bone starts playing. <laughs> <laughs> that was a problem for you. I'm like, are you kidding me? Oh, come on. As a five-year-old watching that, as a five-year-old watching that, I absolutely love that. Why are scene. you watching an R-rated film at five? You have to what ask is my. Wrong? Yeah, you got to ask crap? my dad about that one. I didn't watch an R-rated film till I was like fifteen. Are you kidding me? Wow. Yeah, my parents cared about. Did you grow up innocence. in that town from Footloose? I did actually. <laughs> I could not see. I think I don't even know that the first. I art- love that scene because he walks out. You know, all leather and ready to, you know, whoop some ass. And then that dude walks out with the <laughs> shotgun and thinks he's going to shoot him off. And then ma- makes that quick, like, 
you know, Charles Tillman peanut punch move yeah. and just rips the shotgun out of his hands. I absolutely love that. That was a good move. I'm like, dang, he got that guy. Like, that's where the peanut punch came from. <laughs> but a great uh, beginning. I figured it out, though, that he was the good guy just because, I don't know, he's too nice to the people. Whereas the T-1000, like, basically murdered the cop. Well, and it's not until the T-1000 locks in on John that he flips Real quick, too. He starts pushing people out of the way. Yeah. But even then, it's not exactly clear that he's going to be the bad guy. He's just a cop looking for the Yeah, boy. that's what we think he is. Mm-hmm. Did you want to like go rob a bunch of ATMs after seeing uh, the little- No. Uh, no? <laughs> no? You didn't want- No? Oh, I would have totally- I was this. five, not that well influenced. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that. I'm like, really? That's how you do it? Even at five, I was thinking there's no way that would work. What? Yeah. See, at five, I would have tried it. So This is is something I learned a long time, too. I mean, oftentimes you'll see things in movies. They're not going to work like that in real life. (laughs) Like DeLoreans don't actually travel back in time. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad you were more. Dinosaurs don't really exist (laughs) anymore. You were more clairvoyant than I as a young lad. Because definitely tried a bunch of reckless things. Of course you did. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, but this film is constructed very clearly in a three-act setting. Definitely. The first, yeah. The first goes until about they hit the, what could you call it? The Mexican gun uh, armory? Yeah, I would say it ends uh, when when they've escaped from the mental hospital. Mm -hmm. And after they've cleaned their wounds in in that garage and they're driving down south. Yeah. And then it ends there, and then the third act kicks in when they're driving to Cyberdyne. Yeah. But then there's a solid, like, 45-minute lull where we don't see the T-1000. No. And the, and more, and the themes are definitely more explored within this second act. So oh, yeah. really, the it's bookended by frenetic action yes. in this film. It really is. And this is where we get the themes of fate and humanity play in. Yes, Linda Hamilton's character uh, realizes that she's become the monster she so hates that she wants to brutally murder Dyson, but can't do it. That poor guy. <laughs> Getting his house shot up like that? He got his office shot up, his computer shot up. He got shot like four times in this movie. Dude, he was down, and his whole wife and kids are just like, ah! just standing there screaming i'm like dude no, no i know you don't. laugh because I you're because you don't have a heart what are you talking about it just didn't make sense I'm like what person is just gonna stand there screaming when your husband says get down get down and away and you're like no i'm just gonna stand here away from my arms and watch things explode well she's well sarah has already judged dyson to be the harbinger of judgment day yes she equates him with pretty much pushing the buttons that launched the missiles. I know. But he didn't he didn't do anything like that. Though. No, he was just like, well, he was the guy that invented the tech, that took the technology and I think brought it to the next level. But he did push the button, but killing him wouldn't have mattered because they could have just had another scientist take his work yeah. and then push the button. And that's what the Terminator says when they explain it, like no one must be able to follow your work. Mm-hmm. But she, she equates Dyson, by killing Dyson, she saves the future. Yeah. And then- once she has the gun in his face, it's there that she realizes that this won't change anything. Mm-hmm. All this will change is that I become a murderer. Yes, which I, for me, I felt she already was. So that's why that scene, I, I couldn't suspend my disbelief when watching that 
But I don't know. I think it was column A, column B, her pulling a Vin Diesel and being this non-emotive Well, you see, person. I didn't get that because if she had killed people, we would have gotten like some tidbit of that right. as Dr. Silberman is you know, taking interns through the, the state hospital. Right. She's like this murderous monster. And if she were that murderous, she would be locked up in jail, not in a mental hospital. Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, I don't think she killed lunatic. people. And plus, I mean, in Silberman, there is that when she's escaping the mental hospital. I mean, she does have Silberman with the syringe in his neck. Which, if you did have a giant needle going through your carotid, that definitely you probably would die. Yeah, you, d- you don't just like take a needle and shove it into the side of your neck, and be like, "Nope, I'm gonna inject poison." <laughs> He's gonna be dead before that. I think she would have been able to kill Silberman because that's somebody she truly despises. Yes, she that's does. somebody she can. F- she's been able to focus her anger on for a long time, where somebody like Dyson, who hasn't done anything wrong, no, or is is unaware of what his work and technology could do in the future. Yeah. That it's, she can't do it. Yeah. And he, I think the actor that played him was so great because he had some good moments where he's just like looking at his body of work. He's like my entire research. And he's like hesitant in destroying it because it's literally his life. Yeah. That, that look he has when he's after he's been shot and she keeps yelling at him. It's all your fault. It's all your fault. He looks at her and he has no idea what she's talking about. Mm-hmm. And then it's it clicks for her right there. Mm-hmm. And you know, plus for me, and, and at least for me, that scene where his son throws himself in front of his dad, like "Don't hurt him." Mm-hmm. I it was like, "Oh crap!" Yeah. And leading up to that scene, it was just freaking terrifying. That whole scene really is terrifying. Intense with him getting shot at. Well, and then his office is exploding around him, and then really the scene. <laughs> Doesn't end until John and the T-800 come in, and then John tells the Terminator, like, you need to show them. Mm-hmm. And he does. He shows them the nice metal arm. Cuts off his freaking skin. <laughs> that was just, that was so brilliant, though, watching it, because I, had, I haven't seen this film, so it was so unexpected. Just seeing him literally rip his skin off and be like, see, I'm a machine. It's just, it's one of those things where if the if Dyson would have just said, oh, okay, you know. And they would have left. I would have been as a viewer like, really? You're just going to accept that without any proof? Well, and that's something that I mentioned too before we started recording is that this is a common thread throughout all of the films mm-hmm. is that anytime there's a new character that's introduced into this sphere, they're incredulous about this future and the Terminators. They need to actually see it before they buy into it. Yeah. And, th- and this happened with Sarah in the first film and meeting Kyle and his description of what the world is like and interacting with the Terminator. Mm-hmm. And then this is that scene here in this film mm-hmm. where we really get it a couple of times, but this is, I think is the most prominent scene is he rips off his skin showing the metal arm. And that's when the Dysons buy into mm-hmm. like this future and this timeline that they're heading down. Yeah, absolutely. Great job. Makeup. Great job. Everything. I was like, wow, this looks like a real, I believe this. <laughs> Well, it's this concept of fate, too, mm-hmm. that after he, the T-800 sits him down and tells him everything that's going to happen, mm-hmm. and Dyson now wants to change that. And you could see the change in his character, which I felt in the film was really nice that they took the time to have those scenes where they actually discussed, because, I don't know, I feel like in a lot of movies nowadays, you don't get that long of a scene. It would just be like a quick cut of like 10 seconds, and then you're like, oh, okay, next thing is 
lofty as that 45 minutes were in the in-between where it did hit a low for a little bit, um, I'm glad they did take the time to discuss all those and really flesh out the characters and the arcs. Well, everybody is dealing with their own concept of fate. Yes. John is wrestling with his own destiny. He's going to be the one. <laughs> I don't even think he understands that. No, he doesn't think, until the end. No, he doesn't. Right now, he I think he just wants to be a kid more than anything else. Yeah, totally. He wants to be a child that's robbing ATMs and working <laughs> on his dirt bike and, and pissing off his foster parents. video games. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he yeah. wants he wants to do normal kid stuff. And his mom is like, no, no, you have to understand these, like how to <laughs> how to use explosives, weapons, because yeah. you're the savior of the world. She's so fixated on yes the fate of leading up to Judgment Day that she wants to do everything she can to prevent that. Yeah. And say what you will about her as a mother, but you can't deny that Sarah Connor loves her son. Yeah. And she, would do anything for him. Absolutely. A terrible lover from what, <laughs> from what John says about her. All the guys just keep leaving. She's just so fixated on the end of times. It's like dating someone that's like, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. The rapture's in. We've never encountered a perfect film parent. No. Those don't exist. Well, well, even the McFlys weren't perfect parents. <laughs> right? Even after. Well, maybe after. No, not even world. after. I no, don't think you they don't were. think so? No, it's they not, went and not. played tennis while their kids were, you know, unsupervised at home. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. What do you want, Chris? What do you want? I don't want a perfect parent because <laughs> they don't exist. Ah, uh, maybe. Again, you can fault Sarah for a lot of things as a mother, mm -hmm. but you can never say that she doesn't love her son. She does. She, she'll she make questionable choices like we all do, but uh, she does in the end. And I liked how the film kind of fleshes out because at the beginning you hear how she loves her son, but she kind of like pushes him off when they first meet again. And she's kind of rude to him and just, you know. Well, she's, that, almost, here, she's you know? almost using him as a tool to try to yes. get out of the mental asylum. Yes. Whereas, and it's not until he's there and he rescues her that, it it's now transitioned from I'm getting out to I need to protect my son. Yeah. So her, her mission constantly changes throughout the film. Absolutely. And she grows as a person because John like starts talking to her. Why don't you listen to me? You never listen to me. And then she actually starts and you see that growth. Well, it's, it's nice. It's all those Subtle. lessons and things she's tried to instill in him that he's now learning to use. Mm -hmm. And he's absolutely right. She needs to start listening Mm -hmm. to him because she's programmed him to <laughs> become this military leader. Hell yeah. And he's got like an insatiable robot. That's like military 101. So if he has any reference guide, he can just consult the Oracle, baby. Well, I do. And I also, I love how they fleshed out Schwarzenegger's Terminator in this film. Which is crazy saying that you can flesh out a robot. Yeah. But- he does. But Schwarzenegger <laughs> does a great job of portraying a different Terminator in every single film in this franchise. Yeah. Yeah. It almost becomes more and more yeah. human. He And I, I think we mentioned this last week. He does not get enough credit as an actor. No, he doesn't. I don't think so, at least. I mean, there's a lot of people who are unable to look past his accent, but I mean, he brings it 100% to every film he's in, and he gets a yeah. ton. By no means is he going to win an Academy Award, but you cannot say- the man doesn't work hard no he does he does even um i think it was like t3 he was running for governor he like got himself in the exact same shape that he was 10 years 12 years prior 
for Judgment Day. And he still looks great. And he looks great in like all these films. He's just, hey, hey man, commitment. There's a scene that was deleted from the standard cut of Judgment Day where uh, Schwarzenegger mentions that he's a learning computer. Mm-hmm. And the next scene is Sarah and John cutting into the Terminator's brain to Ooh. kind of flip off the uh, the switch. Okay. Or reset it, I guess, so he can learn new processes and actually figure out what emotions are. <laughs> because okay. throughout the film, he progresses. You know, he has this. He has these smirks. He develops these one-liners. He develops more mannerisms. And it's because of that scene where they're able to reset the switch. Oh, okay. So that's why he's like all woo. Yeah. In the later, yeah. Well, even Sarah commented, you know, I, Skynet doesn't want you doing too much thinking on your own. Yeah. No, it wants, it wants it to be very dependent on those neural processes that Skynet has built into it. But if you shut that off, then it becomes a learning computer. Yeah, and he becomes more and more human, starts making jokes. Well, as solve. human as he can be, I mean. Yeah. What is the life? <laughs> <laughs> well, then they and they continue to share a lot of those great moments in the film when John is just letting his stream of consciousness flow, mm-hmm. talking about... The yeah. male figures in his life that haven't been there. His mom. Yeah. And I I like those scenes. You can like, um, growing up, I can humanize and relate to the kid a lot. So I think it's like some of the dialogue James Cameron writes is like, what the heck is wrong with you? Are you taking a note out of George Lucas? And at some moments, it's like, wow, this is amazing stuff. You know, but we've seen that in um, that freaking film, Strange Days, yeah. too, where you're just like, wait, what the heck is wrong with this guy? I do love when the Terminator looks down at the toddler mm-hmm. and just picks him up by his dungarees yes. and, just, and just staring at him like, what is this? It's so it looks great. like a human, but tiny. <laughs> I love that scene, too. He just, he owns this film, man. It's great. It really is. And I just, I love the final action mm-hmm. portion. It's 35, 40 minutes of just nonstop action At the, from when, yes. they, when they break into Cyberdyne and then heading into the steel mill. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic. Yeah. Although I do oh, find yeah. it a little hard to believe that Schwarzenegger didn't injure a single person shooting that minigun. Yes. Because <laughs> that, that thing is literally a hurricane of bullets. There is some suspension of disbelief that you have to hold through some a lot of the film, but it works, I guess. It's It's a long... Fast pace. It kind of takes a page out of the first one. So the action, while it is forty-five minutes, you really don't feel its length. At least for me. No, and this when I was is watching it. And it's the dichotomy too of Schwarzenegger playing a different Terminator each time. Mm-hmm. The first film is this murderous, non, <laughs> non-stop rampaging thing. Whereas yes. this time around, he is a guardian angel type figure. Yeah. And he holds true to that command that John gives him. I swear, I will not kill anybody. That's right. I did feel a little bit that with the T-1000 being not in the film for like 45, 50 minutes, he almost felt shoehorned in at the end, especially because like he just walks into the police station and coincidentally over the radio, you know, they're saying, oh, at the Skynet place, you got to get down there. We need more cops. It was um, the Dyson home that he walked into. Yes. And it was just, oh, come on. (laughs) Well, you had to. But I understood why he had to get there. Well, it's a natural progression, I think, Mm because before, as um, John and the T-800 were driving, he remarks that the T-1000 has the same files that he has. Mm Mm-hmm. So I think eventually, it's so it's already implanted in our minds that 
KC-1000 is going to arrive there at some point. I wish, though, they would have shown maybe some scenes cutting to and from, like seeing him do his detective work Mm -hmm. that we saw in the first one. Because that was kind of exciting in the first one, seeing like what the Terminator does when he's chilling in his hot, you know, in the hotel or whatnot. That would be interesting. <laughs> yeah, he's to taking me. an exacto knife to his eye. Absolutely, I was curious while watching this, like, where is the T one thousand? What the heck is he doing? Is he talking to other people? What's what's going on here? Petting dogs? I don't know. So that was my only a little bit of criticism, but outside of that, I mean, the ending action was great. We get the cool helicopter crash landing scene. Oh, man, yeah. Even the helicopter flying up and around Skynet was just brilliant. That camera work mm-hmm. in that freeway chase there is some of the best I've seen in any film. Oh, it Because there's two helicopters in that scene. There's the one Robert Patrick is in, and then there's the one that's actually getting all those shots. And it is some incredible, incredible work. It's just mind-blowing how James Cameron thought of that. It makes sense as to how he's mm-hmm. become the filmmaker he truly is. Well, and then Stinky. and then Schwarzenegger, the T-800, all Sarah the Chopper coming in, instantly he leans back and goes, it's him. He knows right away what they're getting into. Mm-hmm. And it is nonstop in that scene. Even when the truck crashes and flips over, it's still going on. You never yeah. feel like it stops. No, and he does a great job at uh, making the tension especially when Sarah and John split up and then, you know, Arnie's stuck with his arm. It's as a viewer, it's like, Oh crap. How's he going to get out? What's happening? Well, and it's, and he's just as determined as the T 1000 is to kill John. Mm-hmm. He grabs a pipe and sacrifices his arm for the sake of protecting his charge. Yeah. Although I do have to question the thought process of him, you know, T 1000s all frozen yeah. in liquid nitrogen. And then he shoots it, and then it melts. Yeah. I mean, was it just to service him saying, hasta la vista, baby? By all accounts, you had defeated him. Yeah. He was frozen. All you had to do was pick up the chunk, and you could just toss it into the steel, and boom, it's dead. You don't have to shoot him. Well, then we wouldn't have the uh, climactic uh, thumbs up melting scene you know at the end although there are plenty of other one-liners in the film so though i would say he left his arm in the you know the warehouse mechanical so what Mm -hmm. if the next scientists find the arm and start working with that i got the impression that it was too like pulverized or destroyed to do anything okay because from the first film that arm was still sticking out of the press. Yeah, there was still a lot. There was still a lot they Plus could they work could get with. The chip from it. Too. Yeah. Whereas in that one, in that case, it would have been crushed by just those gears constantly rotating. All right, I'll take that. Did you like the thumbs up? I think that, was like that you said, I think that kid? is an iconic scene. Oh, yeah. and in a perfect coda for a film like this. Mm-hmm. And that that moment, that thumbs up has gone to be parodied in other. Fi- I shouldn't even say parodied. It's been tributed in other films. Spoofed? Not even spoofed. I would say other films have done its tribute to it. I think. Uh, well, I that's think, nice. I think there was. <laughs> that's a, a nice way. Of I think that. there was a nod to it in Ready Player One. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's one I can remember. But it's to me, it's just such a a great scene, mm-hmm. and especially with the music score that's kicking because it's yeah. playing the what I call the hero theme in the Terminator, you know, the da, 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 that music. Mm-hmm. And it's playing in this almost this sad, almost like it's a funeral march for yeah. the Terminator. I mean, you, you're sad that he has, that he's doing this, but he has to do it. He has to do it. 
That's right. I mean, this is the hero's sacrifice. This is this is Shane, you know, riding away at the end of his movie. This is, you know, Clint Eastwood going to the next town to sort out its problems. This is Gene Hackman and Roy Scheider and French Connection going on to their next case. This is the hero walking off into the sunset, pretty much. That's right. Couldn't have said it any better. So, Jean, with all that in mind, uh, did you have a red shirt uh, in Terminator 2? Probably the parents, I would say, because the parents are the dog, because he kills the dog. Don't remind me about the freaking dog. So that's that's another week. Yeah, I mean, really, there's any there's a whole number oh. of people we could have picked to be a red shirt. Even the janitor guy or the cop, the security guard, he like with his milk. He's like, oh, I got a full house. This is my lucky day. And then, yeah, he got his coffee. And then all Todd wanted was to just sip a glass of milk, and then all of a sudden he gets speared through the mouth for it. But I never got the sense that John's foster parents were mean or nasty to him i mean the job of a foster parent is so hard it is hard you have to deal with uh kids that come from displaced from areas that aren't too good usually and they come with a lot of baggage and you know it's a lot of it's a lot of stuff you got to negotiate around and all they were trying to do was just instill some discipline in john's life because it seems like he's never had a stable environment no oh god no <laughs> so I don't fault them for that. I mean, I mean, when John says she's never this nice, I got the sense that this was more him resenting the fact that she's trying to discipline him a little bit mm-hmm. and you know, trying to be something of a good parental figure for him. But I'm glad he picked that out. Yeah. Did you have a lens flare? Lens flare was probably John swearing and then Linda Hamilton's cigarettes. Because it looked like she was just, it, like my brain, whenever I remember it now, it just seems like her face was just covered in poofs of smoke everywhere. In the back of the car, getting shot while smoking a cigarette while shooting, had Dyson just everywhere. She's just lighting them up. Yeah. So it's just, I was like, huh, she's really hitting that pack hard. And then John swearing. I was like, man, why is this kid swearing so much? Like, you're 11. Stop it. Yeah, man. But once again, I didn't watch R-rated movies till I was 14, so- <laughs> What the hell do I know? How about you, man? Well, uh, this scene isn't in the theatrical cut, but in the extended edition, one of the the orderlies, the creepy one, Dennis with the glasses, Mm -hmm. he beats the crap out of Sarah to get her to take her medication. Okay. And then he's the one that later licks her face as he secures her to the bed. So the him licking her didn't really make sense to me in the film, so now I guess that still doesn't make it sense kinda, to me. It kind of does, but I'm glad Cameron decided to take that first scene out of him beating the crap out of her. I mean, because it's fairly obvious she doesn't want to be in this mental hospital. She's going to do everything she can to get out. So to have this, to further reinforce that this is a hostile environment towards her, I mean, you don't really need that because you... We already have the antagonistic feeling she has towards Silverman Mm -hmm. and the fact that she's tried to escape so many times. Oh, yeah. We don't need, you know, this terrible nurse ratchet figure beating the crap out of her. No. I guess the the lick could be my lens flare, too. With all that in mind, Sean, let's discuss the legacy. Well, like we said, there's a bunch of sequels that have come out. Some have been, most actually all of them have been pretty (laughs) bad. Although hopefully Dark Fate isn't a... And isn't going to trend that same way. That's what people have been saying yeah. that saw the early release, that it's good. But this grossed $520 million at the box office and was actually the highest grossing film of 1991. Yes, and it was the most expensive film. Yeah. One of the most expensive films. At the films. time, it was the most expensive film ever made in Hollywood. But it actually, it was actually able to recruit most of its budget before they even started filming because they sold 
the worldwide rights. They sold television rights. They sold video rights. All of that equaled up to about like $85 million. Oh, wow. So they made up a good portion of the budget right away. But there were some other films that came out in 1991 where um, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, the horrible Kevin Costner one. Uh, Beauty and the Beast came out that year. Hey. The Silence of the Lambs, JFK. Another great uh, couple good. Wow. Backdraft, which I've mentioned on the show numerous <laughs> times, which I'm sure Sean still hasn't watched yet. <laughs> That's No, no, I have not. Uh, Boys in the Hood came out this year. Uh, Point Break also came out this year, too. So 1991 was a pretty good year for uh, Hollywood. That is a solid. Yeah. Uh, Terminator 2 also holds a 93% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. So mm-hmm. uh, take that for what you will. But I feel like that that's a well-deserved rating. That is. This actually outgrossed its predecessor by 434% at the box office. It did. <laughs> it made a ton of money compared to Terminator 1. And it got a theme park ride. It did. Were you able to ride it? Oh, yeah. I rode it several times yeah. at Universal. I Terminator 2, I think, Battle Across Time, which uh, yes, it was open, I think, for like 23 years. They just closed it two years ago, at least at the one in Florida. It's still open in Japan, I believe. But so, I'm not going to go to Japan. So if you want to <laughs> ride the ride, Chris, go to Japan. I know I want to. Maybe one day. I do, but I'm, I know I'm not going to get there anytime soon. That's the only soon. reason why I would go to Japan, just to ride this ride and then leave. <laughs> <laughs> You're there one day like, all right, I can go. That's it. That's all I wanted. <laughs> what culture. And this was uh, also nominated for six Academy Awards. Yes. One makeup. Uh, it, won- it was nominated in Best Cinematography and Best Film Editing. It won... For best makeup, best sound editing, best sound mixing, and best visual effects. Wow. All deserving of those accolades. Yeah. Also won big at the 1991 Saturn Awards. Oh, yeah. It took home best actress, best direction, best performance by a young actor, by Edward Furlong, best sci-fi film, and best special effects. So So it got a lot. Again, all, all deserving of those accolades there. Um, this also received a 3D re-release in 2017, but this didn't perform up to expectations. It only made about half a million dollars at, when it was re-released. Oh, that's it? Yeah. They, uh, there were several other films that got a big 3D IMAX re-release at the time. There was Raiders of the Lost Ark and Jurassic Park got releases in the couple of years beforehand. So I think they were hoping that this would do similar numbers, but Never that did. ended up not being the case. Well, that stinks. And Arnold didn't get a Saturn no. for this freaking... How many films does he have to do to get a gosh darn award? Maybe a Predator sequel where he actually is in Predator it. Predator sequel? Yeah. What? Oh, he's too old to be in that Predator sequel. He's doing a Terminator film. He's not too old to do a Predator movie he again. He would not even be in the Predator. He would just he'd probably be the same thing, some old man in the shack. Although Edward Furlong, since this movie has ended, his career has kind of <laughs> sputtered about in Hollywood. There's been a... Bunch of arrests that he's had for domestic violence and (laughs) violating protective orders. He's also had issues with cocaine and alcohol abuse. He's been in and out of rehab several times. Are we on TMZ? Yeah. He's airing out his dirty laundry? Well, it's true. What? What, Why we just talk about how Arnold cheated on his wife? He has. (laughs) James Cameron did the same thing. The Terminator franchise is a knack for attracting, you know, men with questionable social lives, I guess. (laughs) Right? That struggle with the morals and ethics. But as we said, uh, this this film was followed by three other sequels, and 
the new film Dark Fate is, from what we've read, it's going to be kind of ignoring those other films and calling those parts in alternate timelines. Yeah. Which I don't know what that means. I don't know that, that it's going to shake out after Dark Fate. But They're redconning it all. Yeah. Dark Fate <laughs> is meant is set up to be a direct sequel to Judgment Day. Yeah. So we, we will be uh, eagerly awaiting the release of that, and we'll mm-hmm. get a review of that. So, Sean, with all that we have discussed of Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Okay. Where do you rate it on our unique scale of wouldn't watch, would watch, would own, and would host a viewing party? I would put it as a would own. Okay. I didn't enjoy the low in the middle, but I did enjoy the three acts. To me, it just wasn't as tight as the first one, but I still think the bombastic visuals and practical effects and the moments in this film where it does really move action-wise and storytelling is pretty darn good to me. But it didn't move me like the first one. So for that, I'll give it three stars. But I still think it's an incredible film, and if you love the Terminator franchise, check it out. It's one for the books. How about you? For me, this film conjures up a lot of really great memories that I have of watching movies Mm. like this with my dad and kind of really instilling this love of, science fiction for me at a very young age and Arnold Schwarzenegger has always been one of my movie heroes and I'm always entertained when I watch this movie so for me I would call this a wood host a viewing party oh I invite people over bring Terminator themed dishes dress up as the T-800 if you can I mean there is nothing that I don't like about this film mm-hmm. and I, I would almost call this a desert island film for I- me Desert Island? What does that even mean? So, like, if you were stuck on a desert island, what is the one film that you would watch? Or or one album that you could listen to or one book you could read? For the rest of your life? Yeah. And this would be one of them for yeah. the rest of your life? Wow. That's pretty dope. I mean, this is quintessential okay. Schwarzenegger for me. Oh, yeah. I mean, and, and this is also Cameron, James Cameron at his best work. Yeah. And the action is great. I never felt like it would lag. I mean, like you mentioned with the second act, but that's when... The film really explores its themes and does a great job of fleshing out its characters. Mm-hmm. I do wish that the T-1000 was a bigger part in the film, mm-hmm. but Judgment Day explores more of the human side of this conflict, and it's something that the subsequent sequels have really kind of lost their way from. And for me, I mean, it's up there in terms of a great film. There's not much more I could say about it. There you go. All right, so there next week, as it, we folks. mentioned, we will be bringing you our review of Terminator Dark Fate. So... Please tune in for that. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. It really helps to drive us up the charts as well as help people like you find the show. We are across the spectrum of social media with Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at FourceFed Sci-Fi. You can check out and download episodes at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you find podcasts. And go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. Finally, you can check out our website, forcefedsci-fi.com, for show notes and links to all of our social media. So for all of us at the Forcefed Sci-Fi team, we'll see you next time. Force-fed sci-fi is written and hosted by Sean Culp and Chris Rupp. Website design, associate producer, and editing by Jeremy Kesky. Artwork designed by Mike Berger. Theme music composed and performed by Custom Anthem.